Well, a lot to walk through, but let me give you a quick um, just reminder of what we've been doing as we've been walking in this series uh, called The People Prepared. Peter, First Peter is written by the Apostle Peter, one that was ex- expressly commissioned by Jesus to go and take this great news into all the world. And he writes this letter to a group of what he calls scattered exiles who are living in what is modern-day Turkey. Four big themes we have seen emerge in this letter. It began in chapter one, a talk about this idea of a hope and that this group of uh, Jesus followers were called to connect or link their hope to something outside of their situations. Remember, they're being persecuted for their faith in Jesus. And Peter writes about their living hope, Jesus, that they're to hang on to. He transitioned in that same chapter excuse me, into the idea of holiness. And Peter says that because of the character of God, that he is holy, that they are, as Jesus's followers, called to be a holy, set apart for a purpose kind of people as well. Then the third, of, the, the third theme of harmony developed at the end of chapter one and in chapter two. And, and, and what it really boiled down to, the reason why they can have that kind of harmony together as a people is as they deeply love one another from the heart. The fourth theme that emerged was later in chapter two, and that's that idea of humility and recognizing as followers of Jesus, we are to put ourselves in a position of submission to the God-given authorities that are over us. So those four themes of what we've been seeing throughout this book, today where we're going to go is we're going to see really a combination. Peter's going to double back onto this theme of holiness and how we are called to be indeed a unique people, a people, and I love the, the tagline for this series, uh, God's people deployed into fearful lives. And so we are called to be that unique set apart for a purpose people. But then also he's going to talk again about harmony and harmony found through the idea of how deeply we love one another. Here's our now what statement for this week and what we're to walk out of this message with applying. I love it. It's rather than live like those who are lost, love like those who are found. And we'll see that expressed in the text today. Rather than live like those who are lost, love like those who are found. Here's number one in your notes today. Following the pattern of Jesus means that you no longer have to sin. We'll see what that's talking about. Following the pattern of Jesus means that you no longer have to sin. We're in 1 Peter chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. Read it aloud with me. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body... Arm yourselves also with this same attitude, because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. As a result, they do not live the rest of their lives, or the rest of their earthly lives, for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. They are surprised that you do not join them in their reckless, wild living, and they heap abuse upon you. But they will have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is the reason the gospel was preached even to those who are now dead, so that they might be judged according to human standards in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the spirit." All right, there's a lot to look at. Let's kind of begin with this idea. What we've talked about so many times is when we're looking in a text together and it begins with the word, therefore, we need to ask 
Exactly. What's it there for? And in this case, it's a summary statement that Peter is using to communicate, looking back into chapter 3, how Jesus suffered for doing good, and he set this example for us. That's this kind of idea that now that suffering for good benefited us for all of eternity. And so not only did he pay the price so that we could be pardoned from death, defeating death, but what he also did is he loosed the chains of bondage that we had to sin. That's the only imperative verb in this entire first part of 1 Peter 4. Arm yourselves also with the same attitude. Now, it's a very interesting word, arm yourselves, and it's an imperative, so it's a, a directive. So it is, it's in, encouraging or, or calling upon Jesus' followers to take an active step to, and here's what that word means, to equip yourself with weapons, to arm yourself. That's literally what the word means. It's pretty straightforward. But what kind of weapon are we talking about? And what Peter's talking about is the weapon of Jesus' power over sin because he died to it, and because we are in him, we died to it as well. Now, there's a phrase in verse 1 that's a pretty troublesome phrase, that we are now, that Jesus' followers are done with sin. That original Greek word is this idea of no longer stirred by the incitements and seductions of sin. Now, I just simply say, wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't that be great if sin no longer had any kind of temptation in my life? Your experience, my experience has shown is different. So what is Peter talking about? The idea is that Paul really adds some great commentary from Romans, and we'll look at that, and this will help a little bit. Romans chapter 6, look at verse 5, read it with me. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, so very similar language back to 1 Peter 4, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. That's the key phrase. Because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. So here's what we're seeing. This passage in Romans 6 is a a well-known passage with deep Uh, practical theology. And it talks about this idea that before you were united with Christ, your fallen sinful flesh had no ability to be pleasing to God because you were by nature and by action a slave to sin. Now, that doesn't mean that you always chose a sinful response at every circumstance, but that you were, and this is a phrase I used in my doctrinal statement, that you were pervasively wicked. The idea that you only had the instruments of the flesh to even counter the flesh. And at the end of the day, we all know it's always been our story that never, never works. So the whole point of Romans 6 isn't so much that you're no longer a slave because you're now in Christ. What it is saying is that you have a new master and his name is Jesus You're now a slave to righteousness. And as you are in this new relationship with the new master, what we're reminded of is Jesus is the absolute best of any kind of leader, any kind of Lord, any kind of master that we could want because he absolutely has your ultimate and always best in mind. Now, here's the effect then of what it means when you don't have to sin any longer because like you did when you lived for yourself, it says, as a result, you do not live the rest of your earthly lives for evil human desires. 
And then verses three and four go on to describe what does living for those evil human desires look like. It's that sin-dominated way of life. There's a series of descriptors that are used to simply point out what it looks like to be a people who are separated from God and separated from each other. That's probably the most succinct phrase I can think of of the issues that are going on in our country and in our community today. A people who are separated from God and separated from one another. You see, I want you to hear this today. The heart of racism is not, is, is, comes down to this. It's when we don't value all of humanity being made in the image of God and forgetting that they're intensely valuable to a God who loves them deeply. That's a big problem. That's the heart of the issue of racism. But watch this. That's also the heart of the issue of injustice. It's the same problem. When we forget that all, every single human being is made in the image of God and deeply loved by a God who gives them great worth and value. Interestingly enough, that's also the same heart of the issue for those who are rioting and looting is that they're living with a selfishness, not valuing image bearers of God who are deeply loved and valued by him. Each of these three issues, and and I'm not saying they're the only ones we're struggling with, but they're the ones that seem most apparent. Racism, injustice, rioting. At the end of the day, they all have the same problem at a heart level. Look in your notes. I have that for you. The problems that are afoot in our country and in our community right now have at their core the very same essence not valuing all humanity as image bearers of God who have great worth to a God who deeply loves them. Not valuing all human beings as image bearers of God who have great worth to a God who deeply loves them. That issue is at the core of all the problems that we're looking at. And I hope this, I hope that your heart has been broken over the last couple of weeks of what you have seen in the news, what you've seen in social media, what you've seen in our community, of a people that are struggling to know how do we work together? How do we have a society where everyone is valued? And here's the calling for every one of us as Christians. We're called to do way more than tolerate one another. We're called to love. Infinitely more challenging, infinitely more significant, We're called to love our neighbors. Because the problems in our land affect other human beings, these beings that we've said already are image bearers of God who have great worth to a God who deeply loves them. These problems are problems that you and I must be involved in, must be engaged by. I want you to hear today, this is not a black or a white or a brown problem. This is a people problem, and it's an ugly expression of who we are when we are separated from God and separated from one another. And where should we go for answers to the dilemmas that we're facing? I want to tell you this today, less news, less social media, more Bible. Less news, less social media, more Bible. And here's why. That's the answer you would expect from me as a pastor to say, but I want to remind you of one of our core values at Trinity Church. This is what it says. The Bible is God's story 
given to transform you and to be the authority in your life. The Bible is God's story given to transform you and to be the authority in your life. So the reason why I can say with great confidence that we need more Bible is because the Bible is going to give us not only truth, not only a foundation, not only a grid by which to see what is going on in our land, but God's word has the very power to change you from the inside out to transform not just the things you think, but the things you feel and the actions that you have towards other people. When you understand that God's not word is not a suggestion book, God's word is authoritative in your life because you are Jesus's follower. So realize that's so important. What was so encouraging to me earlier this week is I was talking to Jared Mantagna, who gives leadership to our college age young adults. And he said they were on a Zoom prayer group uh, last Monday night. And as they were talking and, and re- just struggling with the issues and trying to figure out what should their response be, Jared said to a person, everyone on that Zoom call said, but what I need more than anything is biblical perspective so that I can know how I'm supposed to walk forward according to God's design, knowing his truth rather than just a flood of opinions. Man, that made my heart sore because what our young adults are realizing is what every one of us needs to realize and engage as well. The kind of transformation that we so crucially need in our world and in our own lives, it's rooted, it's found when we go to the word of God. And though the quarantine weren't enough, I know a lot of us have been thinking that over the last week and a half, although the quarantine wasn't enough and the challenges we face there, God is bringing us through yet another cleansing season. Another season where if transformation is going to happen, it begins with you. And I want to encourage you in your degree of personal engagement and personal responsibility for what's going on in our country, that you would see, God, you have something for me, a way for me to engage, a way for me to be involved. And let this be a time when you bring your heart to the Lord, and it begins with that prayer that just honestly says, Lord, search my heart. See if there be any wicked way in me. Rather than looking out the the windows, let's look in the mirror and ask the hard questions. Keep seeing these issues that we're facing and the circumstances that change daily through the lens of this book that God has given us as a crisis guide called the Bible. That is the way that we should be seeing things. And by the way, though it's a crisis guide, it's also a marriage guide. It's also a career guide. It's also a parenting guide. That's what's so wonderful about the word of God are all the applications into our lives that it wants to speak and it wants to communicate. And where you are today, where you need forgiveness, when you begin to look in the mirror and let not only the spirit of God, but the word of God speak to you about what may be wrong in your attitudes, in your behaviors, in your thoughts, I want to remind you of some really great news that if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us your sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God promises to forgive when we ask. So I want to encourage you, don't even just stop with being confronted with some of the ugliness in your life, but realize, God, I need help. Please forgive me. Help me seek forgiveness with others and know that he promises that he will. Number two in your notes today, In light of eternity, pray, love, and invite others in. 
in light of eternity, pray, love, and invite others in. Here's the next part of 1 Peter chapter 4. Read it with me in verse 7. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Above all, love each other uh, deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. So this is this great passage now. The very beginning of it, you actually, when you and I are reading it, we're thinking Peter's talking about uh, May, June of 2020. The end of all things is near. You're thinking he's talking about Armageddon, but he's not. New Testament writers would often use phraseology like that to remind their readers that no matter how bad it is now, their coming inheritance, the return of Jesus is imminent. And in light of that, continue to raise their gaze, see the reality that heaven is promised to them. And in light of that hope, that confidence, live now today according to the word of God. So that's a, a common thing. So what's a contrast here is those that are living lives out of control, letting their lusts lead them, Jesus now, his followers are to be alert and sober. That's how Peter begins this section. But watch this, not just being alert and sober because, but for an express purpose, so that you might pray. Now, my hope is that you've taken to heart some of the words, some of the ideas that we shared over a year ago in a series that we did called Still. And one thing that we talked about during that series is that it just seemed, it came up week over week over week, pray more than you worry. Pray more than you worry. And we've encouraged you even in this last season that that series could be so helpful on days when you're just feeling the weight and the stress and the anxiety of fearful times. I think even back to the graphic that Chris Petnack did for this. Look at this. This was uh, 18 months ago when we did this series. We just stop and look. That looks like some of our city centers. And look at the tagline. Finding God as your refuge when facing fear. We had no idea how ahead of the curve we would be, but that's what that series is about. And I want to encourage you, go back, watch some of those messages, and be reminded of the fact that when your fear is rising, see how the Word of God wants to continue to have you anchor your faith, not fear, your faith, into the refuge, the strength of who God is. Now, there's been a lot of things to worry about, no doubt, over the past couple of weeks. And again, all added to the worries that were going on with the quarantine. But I wanna remind you that when we face anxieties, the, the kinds of fears that pass all understanding, the reason why we pray is that when we do, God promises to give us a peace that passes all understanding, a peace the size that we need for the anxieties that are flooding our mind and taking us to a point where we just can be consumed by fear. Those of you who are like me, you have felt at times in these last couple of weeks so absolutely powerless to bring change. And I want to remind you of this incredible power that you have readily available through prayer. Look at this other quote that we've shared before. When we work, we work. And that's that sense of, man, I get to go do something and bring change, but watch. But when we pray, God works. When we pray, God works, and we get to call upon the power of Almighty God, creator of the universe. 
when we go before his throne and pray on behalf of our country and our communities. So I want to remind you, prayer is not a secondary thought. Prayer is what, not what to do when you have nothing else to do. Prayer is an incredible weapon. So I want to encourage you, engage it. The next directive that Peter gives is the greatest one. And it's the greatest one because it's what Jesus said was the greatest commandment. Not only to love God, but to love our neighbors, that we should love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. The Greek word here for love is the word that we've seen throughout First Peter, and it's that word agape, that selfless, sacrificial, I'm not expecting you to do anything in return kind of love. And that's the kind of love that Peter says, extend that to one another. Um, that's obviously the kind of love that our world needs so desperately right now is that kind of sacrificial, selfless love. And what does that kind of love do? It covers a multitude of sins. Now, I want you to hear that phrase. That doesn't mean to suggest that having a strong love for one another can cover, or another word that's often synonymous in the New Testament with cover is atone. This isn't to suggest that our love for one another can atone our sins. Only Jesus' blood can do that. But what the original language suggests is a kind of love that doesn't stir up or broadcast sins. It doesn't stir up or broadcast sins, but instead it pardons them. Catch what is said. Rather than continue to broadcast the failures of those who have sinned against you, Rather, continue to reminding them of their faults. Agape love pardons. Agape love lives in a manner. And what that word was that you read earlier in that verse was love others deeply. I don't think that's the best English translation because this is what the Greek word means. It means to be stretched out fully because completely taut. So think like a rope or even something elastic that's stretched out to the end. It's at maximum potential without slack because it's fully extended to meet the necessary outcome. So what this Greek word deeply, the, the Greek word for that, uh, really is best translated is to stretch wholly, W-H-O-L-Y, to stretch wholly out. Because we have been lacking sports in our world so much, I thought a sports illustration would be actually helpful. And it makes me think of, I remember when I would imagine in my mind as a, a young man who loved the game of football and loved baseball, I think about a receiver seeing that football from the quarterback coming over his shoulder and fully extending in the way that he was going to land on his, on his front side doing this, but fully giving himself, extending wholly to be able to catch that ball. I think of baseball outfielders doing the same thing. That hit is coming into the outfield and extending the glove fully and falling all over the field in order to make this amazing diving catch. That's the word picture, to be extended wholly out. So what this is saying, love each other in such a way that might bring you to the edge where you would even be willing, it would be, it could inflict pain to love someone that well. But that's what Peter is calling his readers to do, to have a love that's stretched wholly out. Peter writes to these scattered exiles that as they have that kind of love, a love that doesn't look first to preserve their safety, that's the reason why a receiver or why an outfielder won't do that is I'm afraid of what the landing is going to look like. So those who won't preserve their own safety but are willing to be completely available to love well. When we as Jesus' church, when we love like that, the world will take notice. 
And I want you to know another thing they're going to take notice of, they're going to take notice that that's the way that we will love them too. And when we do, one of our other core values will absolutely be apparent. It reads this way, very simply, you belong here. You belong here no matter what color of skin you have. You belong here no matter what you have socioeconomic status. You belong here no matter how much is in your bank account. You belong here no matter what you're addicted to. You belong here. That kind of love that we're talking about, that kind of love that stretches itself wholly out, the reason we can love like that is because we've been loved like that. And that's why this core value to us is so absolutely important. I want to tell you, so many of you have been so incredibly kind to me, our other pastors, our uh, elders, by just via email or cards letting us know that you are uh, supportive, you're encouraging, just very kind words. And I personally want to say thank you for all the encouragement you brought. And I will say you have followed in such a way that has made leading a joy. I want to thank you for that. But what I especially want to think of, of all the emails I received, I received one this week from a friend named Pavel. And Pavel's email was great. It was all full of kindness and, and respect. But this is what I thought was interesting. Pavel was asking the question from last week's message, Todd, are we going to talk about these incredibly significant um, uh, important issues that we're facing right now in our country and our community, that of racism, that of injustice, that of how do we um, take a stand in a way that demonstrates the righteousness of God. And what was great about his email, he said he took two of our core values, the very two I've shared with you today about the word of God and the fact that everyone belongs. And he put those in his email and he basically said, if that is who we say we are, then it demands that we talk about these things. I wrote Pavel back, Pavel, I couldn't love your email more. I love that you have embraced our core values, that you not only believe in them, but you in a sense threw them back in my face, not in a a harsh or unkind way, but you put them back on me and said, if this is who we say we are, it demands an answer to the things that we're walking through. And I, I just told him how much I appreciated not only the email, but the way that he brought our core values into the mix, and they absolutely are essential in this conversation. I could not agree more. Finally today, number three, your gifts. This is where it finishes today. Your gifts have been given, uh, that have been given, you've been given, are meant to be gifts to others. That's a tongue twister. Let me try it again. The gifts you've been given are meant to be gifts to others. Let me show you what I mean. First Peter chapter four, verse 10, read it with me. Each of you should use whatever gift you've received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. Um, oh, I think there's more. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. What a great way that chapter four, this segment of it ends. And what I want you to see is, uh, it's interesting. Normally, I would usually identify one core value in a passage that we teach through. Today, it's very obvious there are three. Here's the third one related to that last point. You are designed with a role in mind. 
As we were developing core values as a staff team, that was one that we just knew. It's been so true in Trinity's DNA and Trinity's history has been the idea that we recognize that when we have put our faith in Jesus Christ, that we've been gifted in a unique way to serve the body and even to serve those in our relational world. So that core value is really obvious as we look at that, um, this last part of the passage today. And I want to encourage you, if you have put your faith in Jesus, I want to encourage you to discover, to understand your design. I think we even have a, a ladies Bible study for young women that's developing that's really all around this idea of understanding how you've been designed by God so that you can put those gifts into motion and watch with the purpose of serving and meeting the needs of others. That's what that's all about. Note in this passage that the giving of the gifts isn't so that we can use them autonomously, like meaning out of our own strength and power, but with the needed dependence upon the one who gave them. You see the phrase, they should do so with the strength that God provides. And why is that? This is beautiful. Why is that important? So that in all things, God may be praised through Jesus Christ. All the credit, all the the glory goes back to God. I love this passage in this last phrase, affirming the greatness of God who really does desire to bless us and to give gifts out of that grace. The very last phrase, to him be the glory and the power forever and ever, amen. Let that be our goal this week. Let that be our prayer and our heartbeat that no matter what you're going through, no matter what our country's going through, no matter what your community is going through, let the light shine brightly upon our God who is to be praised for his worth and for his strength. And when we live lives like that, then the great news is, is that people are going to see not only our love for God, but our love for them. This is our now what statement. Rather than live like those who are lost, love like those who've been found. Let me pray for us today. Father God, we come before you today as a people, your people, intentionally being deployed into fearful lives. And God, there was no way we could have known how incredibly powerful that tagline would be for the days that we live in right now. We thought we were fearful a week or two ago, but God, now the level has risen so highly, more than most any of our lives have known before. In the midst of that chaos, in the midst of the fears, in the midst of the anxieties, God, would it be true that we would rather than live like how we used to live, live like the rest of the world, those who are lost, would we love like those who've been found? Father, I'm absolutely convinced that if we will love with your love, true change, true transformation will happen not only in us, but through us. Help us to be your people deployed into fearful lives this week. You may be watching here today and you might say, Todd, I've never responded to Jesus's invitation in the gospel. When we talk about being someone who is God's people, I, I don't know that I could say that's true about my life. And I have great news for you. We've said this all throughout this series. God whispers in our pleasure, but shouts to us in our pain. God is shouting to the world right now. And my hope is if you're here today and you've never put your faith in Jesus, not your faith in a social system, not your faith in a government, not your faith in laws, 
but your faith in the Savior of the world. My prayer is that you would do that right now before you do anything else. You can do it by A, admitting that as we talked about today, you're a sinner who needs a Savior. You've been born with a sinful nature. You live and demonstrate sinful behaviors. And as a result, there's a problem. There's a challenge in your relationship with a holy God. B is believe. Believe that this God went ahead of you and he provided a one-of-a-kind Messiah, a one-of-a-kind Savior who lived a perfect life, who died a sacrificial death and was raised supernaturally on the third day so he could make you someone who could be acceptable to God. Believe in what Jesus accomplished on your behalf. Believe that Jesus is the only Savior available. And finally, see is choose. Choose to say, Jesus, I put my confidence, my trust, not in me and how good I can be or what I can do, but simply in what you've done for me. I choose to put my life in your hands, and I simply want to live my life following you. You can make that decision here right now, and I would just encourage you, don't let another second go by until you do. Father, thank you for this time together today. Thank you for this book of 1 Peter. Thank you for how incredibly applicable it is to the issues we're dealing with and circumstances we face as a community and a country today. Help us be your people living a different way, living out your love in such a needed and necessary time. We love you and we pray in Jesus' great name, amen.